He's the fire, amen? He's the fire in my soul. I hope he's the fire in your soul today that no matter in what situation you need a fire, God's the fire. The Bible said he's the Holy Spirit in fire, amen? God's a powerful God. I don't think we give God near enough credit sometimes. Well, okay, we don't give God near enough credit all the time, amen? Because God is God. His God, his name is above every name that could ever be imagined. Well, by the way, good morning. Good morning on this cold January morning of, two, of 2020. Uh, I want to start out by asking you a question, and I know the answer to it. But how many of you have ever had a dream? And I'm not talking about nightmare type of dreams. I'm talking about how many of you have ever had a hope or a plan for the future? I think we all have, right? We've all had those kind of plans, those hopes for, for a future. How many remember growing up as a kid, somebody asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What kind of plans and hopes and dreams do you have for your future? Well, we found a website that listed several responses of actual children when asked about their dreams for their future. And so here's some of their actual schoolwork with their responses. Uh, a little guy by the name of Albert. He said he wanted to be a person who stays home and does nothing. I'm thinking, me too, Albert, me too. This whole room would probably love that kind of life. But I'm a little bit more concerned of David's response when he says, I want to be a fireman since I like explosions and fire. This little guy likes to blow things up. One little, another little boy says, get a girlfriend, kiss her, and rule the world. I'm, think, I'm thinking, who wouldn't want that? This next little guy says, I want to be Michael Jordan when I grow up. How will I achieve that? Get bigger, shave my head, and be black. <laughs> He's got some goals there. Another little guy said, have a wife and kids. Sounds good, but he doesn't leave it there. He said, and breed dragons. Well, who wouldn't want that? This next kid is going far in life without a doubt. He says, I want it to rain tacos. Maybe he's going to be a manager of a Taco Bell. We don't know. This next one, he says for his dream for his future, he says, I will never get married. I will never get married. And then he draws a picture of himself sitting in a chair saying, boy, this is the life. <laughs> I don't know how that young man got so jaded so early, but anyway, big dreams. We're talking about big dreams today. We're in the second week of our sermon series called The Circle Maker, where we've been looking at praying, not just prayers, but big prayers. We're looking at a story that was actually inspired by Pastor Mark Batterson's book he wrote in 2011 called The Circle Maker. But for this new year, my hope, my plan, my dream is that everyone in Victory Church will have a bigger, bolder faith than they've ever had before in their life. That no matter what comes your way, no matter what happens, no matter what's going on, no matter what you see, no matter what you feel, you're going to have the faith to pray through, not just pray for, but pray through your problems. Pray through your fears until we see God answer our prayers. Hang in there by faith and don't give up when things look bad. In his book, Batterson describes this kind of faith in a man by the name of Hani. Remember him from last week? Jewish historians say that he was a real man that really existed. His story really happened. And it happened in a time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament when there was a terrible drought. Hani got tired of that terrible drought. He drew a circle. 
And he got in that circle and he says, God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to stay in this circle until you answer my prayer and until you send the rain. Well, if you don't know what happened in those 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was silent. God was not speaking to his people. Well, Hani, regardless of knowing that, thinks, well, God's not speaking to us, but I believe he can still hear me when I pray. So he prays a prayer, makes a vow to God. He says, God, I'm not going to leave this circle until you make it rain. Actually, we found out last week that scholars believe that this was not Hani's original idea. He came up with this idea from a story in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament where God told his people to march around the walls, circle around the walls of Jericho until eventually those walls would fall. You know the rest of the story. They marched around those walls for seven days, exactly how God laid it out, and the impossible happened. A miracle happened. The walls fell. Now think about Hani again. When he drew that circle, he didn't draw a semicircle. He didn't draw a circle that was halfway around and stop. He drew a complete circle. So there was no escape route. There was no expiration date on his circle or his prayer. Hani actually backed himself into a corner. And the only way out was a miracle. That was his only way out. Last week we called it drawing circles around our prayers. I even challenged some of you to start drawing circles around your prayer. And I know some of you are doing that already. I believe you're going to see awesome results. But drawing prayer circles sometimes can look a little foolish. And you know why? Because it involves faith. And faith, actually, if you break it down, is the willingness to look foolish. Faith, genuine faith, is that willingness to look foolish. Years ago, I had an old apartment house in Villa Grove, big old three-story apartment house, had six units in it. And it had a big old boiler, and I mean ancient boiler, that was in the basement of that place. Cheryl and I were newly married. We didn't have any money, but I'll say this, she had faith. We didn't have money, but she had faith. One night, it was about eight degrees on a January night, and we started getting some calls from our tenants. They were saying, uh, we don't have any heat. So Cheryl and I put our coats and gloves on. We uh, trucked it into town. We, we went into the basement. Lo and behold, water was running all over the floor. The boiler had a crack in it. Uh, there was no heat coming out of that boiler. Um, we, had, we had called a plumber several weeks earlier, and he said, well, all I can say is this thing's on its last leg. So I'm there basically trying to put a Band-Aid on this old boiler. I'm there uh, spreading some of this stop leak stuff all over it. I'm aggravated. I'm tired. I was hungry. Still, I worked a whole day of construction back then, and I was just wore out, aggravated. But it kept leaking. Cheryl looks at me and she says, uh, hey, why don't we pray for it? I didn't even look at her. I didn't even acknowledge it until she said it the second time. She said, well, why don't we just pray for this boiler? Why don't we just lay our hands and believe God's going to help this boiler? Being a real man of faith, I said, Cheryl, let's get real. This is a boiler. This is a boiler. It's broken, and the only thing that's going to work is if we fix it and we don't have the money to fix it or money to replace it. She said, fine, I'll pray. So she lays her hands on that boiler, and she begins to pray and ask God's help to heal that boiler. And as ridiculous and crazy as you might think I'm sounding, as God is my witness this morning, that boiler stopped leaking. Yes, it did. Yeah, God deserves a hand clap of praise for that. 
I thought about that. She was willing, absolutely willing to look foolish, and she did. With her hands on that boiler, praying in the name of Jesus that he would heal that boiler. But I thought, what was she doing? She was actually projecting a faith that I believe God wants to see in all of our lives. It sounds ridiculous, but God's, over, God's still God over the ridiculous. Amen? God wants to see our faith in action. She was willing to do that. She was willing to look foolish. And really, that's not our idea either. You see in the Bible a whole scale of those kind of miracles, that kind of foolishness going on. Think of the stories we're familiar with. Noah, I'm sure he looked foolish building a boat in the desert. And he looked foolish for 120 years while he built that uh, boat in the middle of nowhere. Amen? When he built the ark. I'm sure the Israelites, we just talked about the story, their army marching around the walls of Jericho with their trumpets in hand. I'm sure they looked foolish. And I know a young guy by the name of David, a young teenage shepherd boy, looked pretty foolish charging up against a nine-foot giant with a little slingshot in his hand. Amen? Think about the wise men. They looked foolish tracking a star to Timbuktu and back on the back of a camel. And definitely Peter looked foolish stepping out of the boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Amen? The Bible is full of these foolish moments. But the great thing about the foolish moments, they might have looked foolish to the world, but they were part of God's plan. Amen? Today we are talking about dreaming bigger dreams, praying bigger prayers, and watching God do miracles in our life. I think many of us have uh, a struggle with that because many of us are afraid, afraid to ask. In the culture we live in, we think that God doesn't do what He used to do in the Bible. Well, according to my word... God's word that I read, he says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's the same God in the Old Testament, then he's the same God in the New Testament, then he's the same God in this new year that we are into right now, this new year of 2020. He's the same God. You might still say, Pastor, do you really? I mean deep down. Be honest with me, Pastor. Do you really believe God is a God of miracles? Absolutely. I have seen miracle after miracle, I believe. And I don't believe just because I've seen. I just believe because God is God. But I think our problem is we're afraid to ask. And I think part of that goes back to we're afraid to get in our own word and find out that the Bible is full of promises to you and me as his children. And because we don't realize that problem, guess what? We're afraid to ask. Or we don't know to ask. Or we fail to ask. And we definitely don't want to ask God for big things. You know why? Because that could make us look like big fools. When if things don't go quite the way we're praying, it could really make us look foolish. But if you aren't willing to step out of the boat, guess what? You're not going to walk on the water. If you're not willing to walk around the walls of Jericho, around the walls of your problem, you're not going to see those walls come down. And if you're not willing to follow the star and find Jesus, you're going to miss out on an absolutely incredible journey that God wants you to take in life, and you're going to miss out on so many miracles that God has preordained, I believe, for your life, for things to happen. The truth is, anytime you're going to experience a miracle, bottom line is you're going to have to take a risk. Do you realize that? Miracles involve taking risk. Miracles involve making a move. Circle makers are risk takers. Amen? Circle makers are risk takers. Moses knew this very well. He learned it maybe the hard way. But if you don't take a risk, you're going to forfeit the miracle. 
If you don't take a risk, you're going to miss out on the miracle that God has planned for you. Today we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 11 that talks a lot about this. I really lightly touched on this at Thanksgiving time, uh, but today I want to uh, drill down and get, look at it a little bit closer. But if you know the story, after 400 years of slavery, God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. You remember that story. After 400 years of them being in slavery by the Egyptians, God delivers them out. You've heard the old phrase, you can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. Amen? Well, it's kind of true with the Israelites. I mean, it's easier to take the Israelites out of Egypt than it was to take the Egypt out of the Israelites. Because when you think about that whole thing, there were all sorts of bad memories about them being in slavery. There were all sorts of great memories about the miracles of deliverance that God performed for His people. But the Israelites want to go back to Egypt. Uh, verse 4 uh, of chapter 11 verifies this. It says, And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt, and we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. Well, first of all, the Israelites are complaining. Quite a shock. No, not a shock at all. They complained all the time. But instead of wanting manna, they want meat to eat. Hey, wait a minute. I'm a hardcore carnivore, you might say. I love meat. I love a greasy old cheeseburger, amen, like a lot of you do. You won't admit it, but we like it. We like a steak. I won't go to a steakhouse and just order a salad and walk away. I want some meat. It's kind of like, where's the beef, amen? But look what it says, they say, in verse 6. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. The manna looked like small coriander seeds, and it was pale yellow like gum resin. The people would go out and gather it from the ground. They made flour by grinding it with hand mills or pounding it in mortars. They, then they boiled it in a pot and made it into flat cakes. These flat cakes tasted like pastries. Wait a minute, we're starting to get somewhere here. They tasted like pastries baked with olive oil. I'm thinking cakes, pastries, that sounds like a pretty good diet. Verse 9, the manna came down on the camp with the dew during the night. So you might look at that, it was, it was special delivery from God every day. Specially deliver, special delivery from heaven every day. But you talk about a people having selective memory. The Israelites definitely had selective memory. All they could remember was the free fish that they got in Egypt. They seem to have forgotten a few other items. One was the fish were free because they weren't, right? I mean, they weren't just slaves to the Egyptians. Those Egyptians beat them and abused them every day. And for some reason, their minds went back to the fact that, hey, we missed the meat. We missed the meat on our menu. I have to stop and shake my head when I think of those Israelites complaining about getting food from heaven every day. I'm thinking, you don't have any room to complain at all. Did that stop them? No, they kept complaining. God, delivered, God miraculously delivered to their doorstep every day this meal from heaven. They're still complaining. Well, in spite of their complaining, God responds to their food tantrum by making the most unbelievable promise, probably one of the biggest ones in the Bible. Uh, he doesn't just promise a one-course meal of meat. He promises them meat for a month. Moses couldn't hardly believe this, and so he starts complaining. Look at verse 21. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. Let me expound on that. He's just talking about the men on foot. If you counted the uh, women and children, 
Theologians believe there were like two and a half million to three million people that Moses was responsible for and that Moses was responsible for feeding, you might say. Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say, meaning God, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Moses starts thinking. He starts adding this up. And in verse 22, look what he says. Verse 22, he said, would they have enough if flocks and even herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough even if all the fish and the sea were caught for them? Moses is doing the math in his head, and things aren't adding up. Not one single bit. There's no way, no how. He's trying to think of one single conceivable way that God could keep his promise. And he can't think of a single way. He doesn't see how God can fulfill this unbelievable promise for a day, let alone, let alone a month. Think about feeding, feeding three million people. He doesn't see how it's possible. With that said, how many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever been in a situation where you're thinking there's no way possible? There's no way possible. None of this makes sense. None of this adds up. God's asking me to do this, but it's not adding up. Maybe uh, God wants you to quit the job you're, pay, you're working right now that you make a great wage and take a less paying job. Doesn't add up. Maybe God's telling you to go on that church mission trip that you can't afford. It doesn't add up. Maybe God wants you to get married or go back to school or something like that. But the bottom line in your mind, it's not adding up, God. This doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. My mother-in-law, Jean. This is a good story. My mother-in-law, Jean, was a single mother uh, with two kids that she was trying to raise on her own when she came back to Villa Grove. She grew up in this area. She moved away for about 35 years, found herself over in Indianapolis, but felt God was telling her to come home. So uh, she came home. She moved back to Villa Grove, and she got a great job with J.M. Jones in Champaign, making great money. But shortly after she took that job, she felt like God was telling her to quit that good-paying job and go to work for Pizza Man in Villa Grove as a waitress. Well, all of her friends said, you're crazy if you do that. You'll never ever be able to uh, pay your rent. You'll never be able to pay your bills. You'll never be able to take care of James and Charlie. You just won't be able to do it. But finally, she made up her own mind and said, God is calling me to do this. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to circle my promise. And it wasn't long before Sid, the owner of Pizza Man, uh, made her a manager Gave her manager's wages with manager's benefits and insurance. All I'm saying is it all worked out. But above all that, I'm saying with God, it doesn't have to make sense. Amen? With God, it doesn't have to add up. In this situation with Moses, it sounds a whole lot like another food story that happened 1,500 years later in the New Testament when Jesus was teaching uh, uh, the multitudes, a group of about 5,000 people, he had taught all day long. They were getting hungry, of course. There was no Chick-fil-A in sight, amen? <laughs> They're getting hungry, and a little boy holds up his lunch, uh, five loaves and two fish. I mean, it's a nice gesture, but looked a little bit foolish. The disciples see that. They hold it up to Jesus and say, what is this? Among so many, it just doesn't add up. It just doesn't add up. Let me just tell you this today. When you get put God in the middle of anything, if you put God in the middle of your situation, your struggle, your problem, it's going to change everything. You put God in the middle of anything, He'll change everything. In God's economy, if you'll take what little you have in your hand and put it into the hand of God, it not only will add up, 
God's going to multiply it. Amen? He's going to do some multiplication, not just some addition. God is that kind of God. Most of us have heard of Corey Ten Boom, this great woman of faith. She was arrested. Her and her family were arrested by the Nazis when she was 50 years old for hiding the Jews from uh, uh, being exterminated, basically. But she and her sister were sent to one of the worst death camps of all, a camp by the name of Ravensbrück. Uh, 96,000 women were slaughtered in that death camp, including Corey's sister, Betsy. But upon arriving at Ravensbrook, she and her sister were starving, and Betsy was uh, very ill. They were packed into barracks that should hold 400 women. They packed 1,400 of those women in those barracks. And the only food they got was one slice of black bread in the morning and a small bowl of gruel, they called it. It was turnip soup in the afternoon. Well, Corey had smuggled a bottle of liquid vitamins into the camp. So every morning, she would put a drop of those liquid vitamins on her and Betsy's bread. Well, after a few days of doing that, she looked around in their flea and lice-infected uh, dormitory, and she saw all these sick and dying, weak women, and her heart went out to them. She started putting a drop of that multivitamin upon every slice of bread for every woman. And it was just a small little body, but the drops kept coming. Day after day, as many as they needed. Corey says she even held it up to the light. But the jar was so dark and so brown that she couldn't tell how much liquid was left. All she knew was every time she tipped it up, the drops kept coming. That's a miracle. That was an absolute miracle. What that tells me is God's economy is a whole lot bigger than our economy. God can make it happen when it seems like there's no way to make it happen. It was a miracle. Back to Moses' story in verse 31. It says, Now a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It scattered them to up to two cubits deep all around the camp, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and they gathered quail. How many of you remember that old Alfred Hitchcock movie called The Birds? Anybody remember that one? Well, this is a whole lot worse than that movie. It was, you might say, a bird blizzard. I mean, this cloud of birds was so thick and heavy, it looked like a solar eclipse. And scholars actually believe that it rained somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 million quail that day. 105 million quail. Moses couldn't even imagine that was even possible. But Moses, i got to give him credit, he had the guts to circle that promise anyway and to call on God and ask God for his help. Let me ask you again, is there a promise in your life you need to circle? Is there a, a trouble spot in your life you need to circle and depend upon God? Maybe you need to circle a promise for your marriage. Maybe you need to circle a promise for your children. Maybe you need to circle a promise for this time that you're living in your life of, for whatever reason it might be. Maybe you need to circle a promise for the uh, fear you're facing or a dream you're chasing. Maybe you just need to stop and circle that prayer and call and depend upon God. But before you do, there's a question that God asked Moses that I think is so pertinent, so uh, relevant for where we're living today. It's a question that I think will ultimately decide the size of your prayer circles. Listen to what God tells Moses. Verse 23, the Lord answered, Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Simple translation of that, God is saying to Moses, is there any limit to my power? 
Moses, is there any limit to my power? God knew the answer to that. He just wanted to make sure Moses knew the answer to that. God tells Moses, do you believe there is a limit, any limit to my power? Do you believe, Moses? Let me tell you, believing has everything to do with it. Amen? Faith is important. Faith is a big deal to God. The Bible says, and I read it last week, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many remember the story about Jesus when he went back to his hometown of Nazareth? He went back to his hometown of Nazareth to do some miracles that they desperately needed. But immediately, the people started looking at Jesus, and they said, well, isn't he just the carpenter? Isn't he just the guy that hangs out with the sinners and the drunks? Um, That whole town missed so many miracles. It says that he couldn't do one miracle in that town because of their unbelief. This just proves to me that that lack of faith of those people in Nazareth was directly connected to the lack of miracles. A lack of faith is directly correlated or connected to the lack of miracles. To me, this just proves that our needs, our sorrows, our pain don't move mountains. They don't even move the hand of God. What moves the hand of God? One thing, faith. Our faith moves the hand of God. Some of you are looking at your monthly bills and then you're looking over at your monthly paycheck and you're talking yourself out of some blessings that God really wants you to bless you with. God's a God of increase. Do you realize that? God's a God of abundance. And I believe if we would just get in His Word, get to know this Jesus that this Word describes for ourselves, I believe that you'll start to see miracles like you've never seen before. Because you'll start to pray prayers like you've never prayed before. They're not just going to be words thrown up into the air. They're going to be words that are truly dependent, prayers that are truly dependent upon God. So again, is there a promise you need to circle in your life? There's only two answers to that question, yes or no. And until you get a real deep down revelation, or maybe I should say a conviction of your own, that God's power and God's grace has no limits, guess what's going to happen? You're going to continue to draw these little bitty circles. You're going to continue to pray these little bitty prayers. But once you realize the omnipotence of God, omnipotence means all-powerful God. I believe if you recognize Him for who He is and for who He wants to be in your life, all of a sudden you're going to be drawing these ever-increasing, larger, God-given, God-sized circles for God-sized dreams and plans. Amen? It's all about trusting in His Word. It's all about trusting Him. It's all about giving it over to Him and say, God, I don't understand this. It's not adding up. It doesn't make any sense. But God, You are God. You're still on the throne. I'm going to trust You because You can part a Red Sea. You can deliver Your people. You can do whatever. You can make those drops go on for days. God, You are a miracle-working God. I'm going to trust You. I'm going to believe You. The size of our prayers depend upon the size of our God. How big are you letting your God be today? The size of our prayer circles depend upon the size of our God. So whatever's looming over you today, think about that. Whatever you're dealing with today, whatever load you're carrying today, whatever impossible promise that you're holding on to, it may look impossible to you, but for a God that delivered 105 million quail out of nowhere, it's no problem. So what's your problem? What's your circle? What's the Jericho in your life? Those size of prayers depends on the size of your God. How big is He today? 
And if God has no limits, why do we put limits on our prayers? It kind of reminds me of the guy, the guy that was trying to size up God by asking God, God, how long is a million years to you? God said a million years is like a second. Then the man asked, well, how much is a million dollars to you, God? God said a million dollars is like a penny. Then the man smiled and looked at God and said, uh, well, could you spare me a penny? God smiled back and said, sure, just wait a second. <laughs> the truth is, when it comes to God, there's no big or small. There's no possible or impossible, easy or difficult. And that's hard for us to relate to. It's hard for us to comprehend because we're used to living in these, this four-dimensional world that we live in. Amen? It's hard for us to actually grasp that. But do you know something about God? He's not even limited by the uh, natural laws He created. There's nothing that God can't do. There's no prayer that's too hard for God to answer. Nothing's too hard for God. But it still depends upon our faith. Our faith to move the hand of God. Houston pastor John Basango, he describes a time when his daughter Melody, she was only five years old, she came to him one day while he was reading his book, and she said, Daddy, can you build me a dollhouse? He looked at her and said, Sure, hon, I'll build you a dollhouse. Then he went back to reading his book. Pretty soon he looked out the window and he saw his little girl, five years old, Melody, walking across the backyard with an armful of her toy dishes, armful of her toys, armful of her dolls, making trip after trip, dumping them out in the middle of the yard. And John looked at his wife and says, well, what's Melody doing? His wife says, well, you made her a promise. You were going to build her a dollhouse. She just believes you and she's getting ready. John said, you would have thought I got hit by an atom bomb. He said, I threw down that book. He said, I got in the truck. I raced to the lumberyard, got all the supplies, and built my little daughter a dollhouse. He said, why did I respond? Because I wanted to? No. Because she deserved it? No. He said it was because her daddy had given her his word. And she believed it, and she acted on it. And he said, when I saw her faith, nothing could keep me from carrying out my word. When I saw her faith, nothing was going to keep me from carrying out my promise. Do you know the same thing is true with our Heavenly Father? When He sees your faith, when He sees my faith, there's not one thing that can keep Him from carrying out His Word, for fulfilling His promise in our lives. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God's a rich God, amen? Basically, that just means that everything belongs to Him. And I'm thinking if He can send a strong west wind to blow 105 million quail into camp... He can do those miracles all day long. That's his part to do. Our part is faith. We've got to step out in faith. We have a part to play. Pursue the dreams. Pursue the goals and the promises that God has put in our hearts. Going back to my boiler story, how that big old rusted out piece of equipment was on its last thread until it died, until it gave up, until it quit. The thing is, you might be sitting here today and you might be saying, that's my life. That's my story. That's where I'm at. There's something broken in my life. Maybe I'm on my last leg. Maybe I'm on my last thread. Maybe there's a dead situation in your life. Maybe it's a relationship you can't seem to fix. Maybe it's a marriage that isn't working out. Maybe it's a teenager that's going down the wrong road. Maybe it's a failing business or a bad doctor's diagnosis. Maybe you're facing something that looks like all the ads all the odds are stacked against you. All the odds. And I'm not making light of your challenge that you're facing right now, but I will say this. In order for you to have a godly perspective on whatever's going on, 
a godly perspective on your problems, you have to answer this question. Are your problems bigger than God? Or is your God bigger than your problems? Are your problems bigger than God? Or is God bigger than your problems? I think our biggest problem is we have this small view of God and who He is. So I'll just challenge you today. Whatever circumstance you're in today, whatever you're facing, pray. Pray a real prayer full of faith. Pray and ask God to do the impossible. Do you realize how powerful God is? God is so powerful that the impossible is possible with God. If you're praying those small, tiny prayers, those safe prayers, most of the prayers when I say safe are those prayers that are going to work out whether God intervenes or not. If you're praying those kind of prayers all day long, guess what's going to happen? Not much. You're going to overlook, you're going to miss out on the miracle-working power of God. If you aren't willing to ask for the impossible, you'll never experience a miracle. Do you realize that? If you're not willing to ask, take a risk, ask for the impossible, you'll never experience a miracle. If you're not willing to step out of the boat, you're never going to walk on the water. If you're not willing to march around the walls of your problem, you're never going to see the walls fall. And if you're not willing to chase after the star. To find Jesus in all of His glory and all of His power and all of His plans for your life. You're going to miss out on the greatest adventure and the greatest bunch of miracles you've ever could have seen. Amen? If we don't trust Him. So I challenge you today. Draw a circle around your Jericho. First of all, identify your Jericho. Identify your problem, whatever it is. Draw a circle around it. And then I'd say attack it with the authority that's in the cross. Not the authority that's in your prayer alone or in your words alone but in the authority that's in Jesus Christ, His blood-bought authority, His blood-bought power, His blood-bought sacrifice on that cross that made all things possible, starting one, salvation. Starting first with salvation. Draw a circle around your challenges today and then come boldly before the throne of grace. You know, God's never fearful when you come to Him. He's never shaking in His boots thinking, I don't know if I can handle this one. No. I think God's looking with excitement to the next big thing to the next huge thing you're going to bring Him. I challenge you in 2020 to take a lot bigger things to God than, like I said, now I won't say that. I don't know if Kate's here. She got on to me about this last week. Finding a parking place at the mall. I let Kate off the hook because she said that, you know, she has trouble walking. So I'll give her the the benefit of the doubt. But draw a circle around it. What's the next step of faith that you need to take? What's the next move you need to make? I can't make that for you. I can't take that step for you. You've got to take it for yourself and for God. Could you stand to your feet this morning? I believe God wants us to ask for specific miracles. I challenge you, will you do that today? With every head bowed, every eye closed. Father God, I pray as we step into this new year, I pray it would be the best year we've ever had. Not uh, just condition-wise and And I pray it would be the best year we've had walking with you. Help us to step into a new level of faith. Let it be a level of faith that rests in your limitless power. Father, I pray you'd give us a greater revelation of the miracle-working God that you really are. And Lord, even when things, it seems like the odds are stacked against us, even when things look impossible in our situations, help us put things in your hands, knowing that everything can change when we put it into your hands. Help us to trust you with an ever-increasing faith. Help us to draw ever-enlarging circles of a prayer. 
to believe you, Lord God, that you are who you are and want to be even more in our lives. We give you praise for the opportunity of having a new year. And I pray that we would be the best we can be for your glory today and through this whole year and not just stop at the year, but for our life. We give you thanks. We give you praise. And before I close, if you're here today and you've got a situation that you're really struggling with, I pray that God has lit a fire in your heart to realize that it doesn't matter how impossible it may look. God is the God of impossible situations. Just trust Him. If you need extra prayer after church, come and see me. But God bless you all. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name I pray. And everyone said amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise?